0: Today is uh, July the 21st, 2004. This is Matthew Perot on this side, of the Texas line. Piro on the other side. But um, I have a feeling that uh, tonight I'm going to be preaching more to myself, myself in the present, and myself in the future than anybody else. Uh, on several occasions so far, has been Eric's preached messages where. Uh, they were intended in one direction and actually came back the other. I preached that Let's see, Jesus had to give him some kind of focal point to release the anointing, so that's what had to happen. <laughs> we're taking notes this morning. Today, it's going to be about sowing and reaping. Amen? All right. Like the reaper. We're not the grim reaper. We're the happy reaper. We're the joyful reaper. Hey, we don't smoke, reaper. We just reaper. Did you just say we don't smoke? Because <laughs> it like We don't know what that is. It's like all of us. <laughs> <laughs> I saw somebody say it on TV. We were born again right from the report. For those of you with Thompson Chain Bibles, it is page number 1292. I'm sorry, Galatians 6 is a little bit further back. It's led you astray. 1296. All right, verse 1. Let's crank it up. Bring it up a notch. Put some bam in it. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently, but watch yourself or you may be tempted carry each other's burdens and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing he deceives himself each one should test his own actions then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to someone else somebody else for each one should carry his own load i think in some of the older king james versions that word load does mean burden as well um, well, we're gonna we're gonna continue reading down as the main verse, but uh, I want to focus on this real quick. This is a small nugget before we really get deep into the sowing and reaping. Some uh, things that Jesus showed me about it. Uh, beginning in, in verse one, uh, to be caught. I always was kind of curious about this uh, this particular part of uh, Galatians six. If someone is caught in sin, what exactly is that degree? Is it someone that is perpetually in sin, deliberately in sin, or uh, I'm trying to think of an easier word, all of a sudden caught in sin, something that's very rapid, something that's immediate. As we begin to dig into the, the Greek context and the intent of what Paul is trying to convey here, it's more from someone who is... Uh, caught in anticipation or they're acting out of an impulse, out of a passion. So we know from the word that a strong rebuke usually accompanies someone who has been deliberately sinning after a period of time. There's usually that three-step method. You approach them personally, then with someone else, and then publicly to deal with something that's continually deliberate. We also see that same pattern in God's dealing with mankind and with nations. How initially he would deal with them himself speaking to one individual there and that one individual would also at some point in time have other prophets surround him and then he would publicly dis- dis- disgrace that nation and send them to captivity or being overrun by someone. So it's pretty common throughout the word how God deals with discipline but in this particular case it's really focused on someone who would act more of an impulse. Uh, i I'm sure there are lots of examples so I'll withhold on them. <laughs> But the the, the part that, that usually threw me for a loop was, okay, you're dealing with a guy or a girl who is okay. probably a girl. Yeah, they're weaker vessels. <laughs> I take that back. I repent. Okay. We're uh, dealing with someone who's acted out of a, more of a, a, a temporary release of the flesh. That's a good way to put it. They stubbed their toe. They stubbed their toe. Yes, they did. And uh, let we'll me read the verse over again. Brothers, if someone is caught in sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. That's one of the indicators I know it's not someone who is deliberate and hard headed about what they're doing. But watch yourself or you may be tempted. That was the part that kind of threw me for a loop. My logical mind would say, would I be tempted by what they're involved in? You know, if I welcome somebody and they're smoking, you know, crack or dope, sigil weed, yes. Uh, would I be tempted by what they're doing? As you begin to read further down, you see that his intent is not necessarily on their direct sin, but it's really of establishing yourself as the the authoritative source of law and harshly condemning that person, and therefore making yourself susceptible to the sin of pride or something else. Uh, we'll read further down. Because uh, right after he says, or you also may be tempted, but rather instead carry each other's burdens And in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ someone real quick. What is the law of Christ? Love love That's right. Love the Lord and love your neighbors Right after he says about fulfilling the law of Christ in regard to your brothers So this is someone that's in, in Jesus if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing he deceives himself. Each one should test his own actions. So really, he's talking to the person who's restoring the brother or sister that's fallen in sin. He's talking addressing that person, hey, be- before you get on your high horse and start pointing the finger, evaluate yourself, evaluate where judgment is coming from, but also the judgment that you are due if every single action in your life was to be held accountable to you. So, testing and approving our own actions towards his brother. Then, verse, the rest of verse 4, then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to somebody else. For each one should carry his own load. That verse 5 doesn't contradict the verse up above. it. We are commanded to carry each other's burdens, meaning that we minister to each other, we wash each other's feet, and we help each other through hard times, even times when someone isn't acting right. And that's a good point to remember. Not just when someone is financially despair or you know, they may just have the blues about something, but if they goof up. We are there to restore them gently and to love them back into, not back into, but uh, back into a stronger walk. Just recover from it. Uh, what he's talking about at the very end is what happens is someone who is who is uh, ignorant of the judgment that they will have to eventually stand before. Basically, hey guys, carry each other's burdens, but when it comes down to judgment, every man is going to give an account for his own actions. You will carry your own load of of your, your actions that you've done in your flesh. Does that make sense? Praise God. Alright, let's move on. Verse 6. Anyone who receives instruction in the word must share all good things with his instructor. And that's not just, hey pastor, let me show you what I learned today. (laughs) You start digging a little bit deeper in that verse too. It means material possessions as well. Uh, You you kind of see this in in some other writings that Paul has. Don't muzzle an ox while it treads the grain. Basically if you you have a living of preaching the gospel, you'll make a living from preaching the gospel. Verse 7. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Bottom line, if, there's, if that verse is not underlined, please underline it in your Bible. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature or his flesh, from that flesh or from that sinful nature, he will reap destruction, also paralleling death. The one who sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Now, if we continually, we know that uh, a little bit further back, he describes the acts of the sinful nature and the fruits of the Spirit. The acts of the sinful nature equal what? Equal death. The the fruits of the Spirit are a result of life residing in us and bearing fruit for really others, but bearing fruit unto God. Uh, let's go to uh, Leviticus 25 Now getting back on the subject of of sowing and reaping really concentrate on sowing. 25. Uh, we'll start in verse 1. But the main thing why we're starting in Leviticus 25 is that sowing part of it, like we read earlier in Galatians, you sow according to the sinful nature you reap destruction. You sow according to the Spirit and you reap eternal life. Well, the Breaking it down a little bit further into our daily lives, the sowing part takes faith. And the definition of faith is? Being sure what we hope for is certain, or the evidence of what we cannot see. So let's reverse in uh, verse one and twenty-five, page one thirty-nine in Thompson J. The Lord said to Moses on Mount Sinai, "Speak to the Israelites and say to them, When you enter the land I am going to give you, the land itself must observe observe a Sabbath to the Lord. For six years sow your fields." And for six years, prune your vineyards and gather your crops. But in the seventh year, the land is to have a Sabbath rest, a Sabbath to the Lord. Do not sow your fields or prune your vineyards. Do not reap what grows to itself, I mean, I'm sorry, of itself, or harvest the grapes of your untended vines. The land is to have a year of rest. Whatever the land yields during the Sabbath year will be food for you, for yourself, your manservant and maidservant, and the hired worker and temporary resident who live among you, as well as for your livestock and the wild animals in your land. Whatever the land produces may be eaten. What it required of the Israelites, they got the natural thing right. They got the natural idea that when I take a seed, something that is small, that holds the the DNA or basically the composition to go in the earth and grow into something that will produce more of its kind, that will produce a bountiful fruit that serves as a, a means of uh, nutrition and substance for those that eat of it. They understood that they could take the small thing, lay it in the soil, water it, wait, watch it grow, and then they would get their fruit. But one thing they missed was the spiritual concept of that. For six years, they were to use the land, work it, and draw from its fruit. But in the seventh year, they were to let it rest. The word Sabbath means Sabbath. So on the seventh day or seventh year, when they were to let it rest, they did not. We eventually see during uh, the Babylonian captivity that they spent 70 years under the rule of another nation because for 70 years, I mean for 70 times, they missed that one Sabbath year. And what that Sabbath year basically required was that you stop planting and stop reaping on the end of that sixth year. And that you had faith that God would give you enough crop, not just for you, but we see here, for everything under your your rule. For your manservants, maidservants, wild animals, everybody. That God would give enough supply to carry you through this waiting period. And that it would be his arm that would take you through it and not your own. Israel depended on their own arm, and God put up with it for a while. But eventually, you saw that they reaped what they sowed. They 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 reaped the the working of the flesh. They eventually, sow, I'm sorry, they sowed the working of the flesh, and they reaped destruction by being in captivity. Same exact thing we pull from Leviticus, we apply in our lives. At this point and stage in my life, there have been things that Jesus has been setting in front of me. I've had to sow seed or sow uh, uh, something in faith. I couldn't, from the seed itself, I couldn't determine exactly how it was going to grow and bear fruit. But I had to rely that God was going to take care of it once I planted it and carry it out to full fruition. That's the way it is in my life now. That's the way it will be forevermore. Because without faith it is impossible to do what? It's impossible to please God. By sowing seed let me, let me give you the definition of what exactly it means uh, basically found in the Old Testament uh, the Hebrew word is Zara the word for seed itself is zera. so it changed the first A to an E it means to sow to scatter seed or to make pregnant whenever uh, whenever we read in the, in the Old Testament we see that uh, I forget his name But uh, I think it was Tamar's husband was. uh, He may have died. But somebody's husband was uh, removed from the lineage of Christ because he turned while uh, conception and removed his seed and spilt it on the ground on purpose because he didn't want to get her pregnant. God looked upon that as extreme disfavor because he was not performing his role as the husband over this woman and in the lineage of the Messiah. Well, in the same way, uh, as we participate in, in the working of God in our life, if if we sway from letting God making us pregnant with the vision, vi- making us pregnant with a calling, he'll be very displeased and you'll, once again, reap destruction. Onan? That's the one. That's the name of a. Hmm. Wow. <laughs> We're good. We're good. Uh, so anyway, with, beginning with this vision, I'll just I'll talk about some personal events for me. This vision of being in Houston, Jesus first spoke to us in August, basically impl- implanted the seed in, in me and my wife. Time went by, and we just we felt like a farmer sitting there watching, waiting for a crop to grow up. Didn't see any fruit whatsoever. But because I was basically the soil, I could fee, feel that seed taking root in myself, germinating, starting to spread roots and grab more and more of me. Don't be surprised that if you see, if you uh, hear from God about a certain event or a certain subject in your life, and it doesn't take fruit right away, but you feel it growing. For a long time, I, I didn't know what to do with myself. I was sitting there, just you know, do I do I act on what I'm feeling? Do I do I sprout and try to push this thing through the soil because I'm feeling roots take hold of me? And God gave the increase. Bottom line, there were times when Jesus would come and He would water that seed, that vision that Jesus implanted in me, and I would see a little bit of growth, get all excited, kind of and then there'd be another long period of of no growth whatsoever. But eventually, there came a point where it It busted through the ground, and now it's beginning to bear fruit, and Jesus has done it again. And as I study the Word, as I study my life and hear the testimonies of others, I see that same sort of pattern occur. The cool thing about this pattern is that it's not predictable. Not predictable to the details part. I can look at Manny's life. I can look at Jennifer's life. I can say, you know what, there's going to be a time when Jesus is going to call you to do something, and it's going to begin in this form or fashion. The cool thing about it is that he's not going to give you details and you have to rely on him 100% the entire way until it's finished. Uh, let's go to Second Corinthians 9. Two years, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's good. I mean, uh, I, I can relate that to. <laughs> I can relate that to being a, a worship leader. You know, Jesus called me to be a worship leader, so it's a, it's really unfair for me to look at everyone's life and say, you know what, you're falling a little bit short because the calling that you have doesn't match mine. In time period or in style, that's exactly it. By the first year, I was this, and nothing compares. Um, I mean, look at the men men of God in the Word. You know, Moses took a certain amount of time. Abraham took a certain amount of time. But David, guy was a very young. The calling birth forth. 6. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. and Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. I'll stop right there. First coming into Jesus, I'm so glad that Jesus himself through men and through preaching, uh, and also through reading the word, made it very clear to me that number one, I had to count the cost. I had to consider that I was going to lose all of my comforts, everything that I known of my life beforehand, by coming into him. I was willing to submit it all to him. Well, I also knew that I would gain a a life in Jesus that would surpass what I had before. But I didn't have full understanding of what it would be. It would come as, as time passed by. After about a year and a half, I ran into a a tape by Keith Green. Just being able to listen to Keith Green's music, I realized this guy was what we call totally sold out for Jesus. Every fiber of his body, every inch of his life was covered by Jesus and dedicated to serve and to please him. That became my standard. I I had no aspiration to meet anything less than that. And the cool thing about it is that, as I read in the Word and talked to other people's, uh, people about their lives, is that as they tried, they would fail at certain points. But their goal and their heart was still to meet it. This scripture here in Second Corinthians 9 does talk about finances. And we'll get into that because that's one part of sowing. There's about three, three other parts we're going to talk about. But the same rule applies. Those who sow your life into Jesus sparingly, you will reap sparingly. But if you sow generously, and that word generous, we studied this before, means uh, you know, in, in a great abundance and a little bit later on, a cheerful giver is what God is pleased with, someone who is happy to give it, not reluctant. I'm not pleased with my child if they submit and obey me with a grudge on their face. A pleasing sacrifice or a pleasing obedience out of my child is with something that's willing. So then they see my authority and they gladly accept it. And submit our need to to it. I do the same thing with Jesus. That whenever, not only when I'm called to do something, but every single day of my life, I strive to be yielded to him. I strive to sow into his kingdom, sow into him with everything I've got. So I can gain a BMW and and a big house or whatever. No, that's not my goal. My goal is to bring everything into him and then let him bless me as he dictates. Blessings can come in many forms and fashions, not just through finances. Uh, there's a story of, of a mother. Uh, I think they were taking a, a sailboat trip somewhere off the coast of Africa. But she had, I think, a three-year-old and a nine-month-old with her. And she had so many packets of milk and all that kind of stuff. Something happened where their sail broke and they were stuck out at sea. And then they were missionaries. Uh, she, I think she passed out. The three-year-old passed out from exhaustion and lack of water. But when they woke up like a day and a half or so later, the baby was still well-fed, still hydrated. And I think the three-year-old came up and said, a man fed the baby. There was no man around to to feed that baby other than the husband. Uh, But it's an awesome testimony how God provided through an angelic means to meet their needs while they were in desperation. So... No, Did they have a jaguar that says, I tithe, or anything like that? No. Every single one of your, your needs are met. Uh, we'll continue reading in chapter 9. Verse 7. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. Same thing goes with our submission to Jesus. For God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound to you. So that in all things at all times. I'm saying this to me for right now and for the future. Matthew, never get despair because God will meet your needs at all times, no matter what it is. Having all that you need. That word want doesn't fit there. You will abound in every good work. For me, I'm I'm in sales. I'm starting to learn the, the sales cycle and what it's like to be in sales. Um, I'm not heavily dependent upon commissions, but I'm heavily dependent upon having a job, having to sell something. Uh, it's very, very easy whenever you've put in so much labor and so much work into sowing, you know, ads, doing kind of marketing, talking to people, endlessly putting together proposals and seeing no <laughs> fruit for it and still having the energy and the courage to wake up in the morning and go and do it again. I I, I don't know how, how worldly men do it. I get up and I say, you know what? Jesus will bless me in everything I put my hand to, whether or not I see the fruit of it or not. I will eventually be blessed and he will meet every single one of my needs. I say that with my mouth even at times when I do not feel it with my heart. That's one of the most powerful things about the Word and why it's so important that we know the Word. Because if you do not have the tool to overcome what you feel and overcome what your mind is thinking, then you will remain defeated and kicked down in the dirt. That will eventually give open door to unbelief, and that unbelief will result in death. Will it happen overnight? Absolutely not. But give enough time, and it will bear its fruit give God enough time and have faith in what He's doing and it will bear its fruit. Fruit unto life not unto death. Amen? Uh, verse 9. As it is written, He has scattered abroad His gifts to the poor. woo His righteousness endures forever. Now He supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your pocketbook. No! Your righteousness. I've heard this verse used so many times to say, see, God's going to give you an increase. He's going to increase your seed. You just believe in God and He's going to give you what you need or give you what you want, it amounts to. My goal is to have right standing in God, with God. That's what righteousness means. In order to do that, does it require money? No, it doesn't. Does it require showing other people that I have money? No, it doesn't. It requires showing other people that I have a deep-rooted faith, believing what I hope for, certain what I don't see in God, which results in uh, acts, uh, results in the fruit of the Spirit of my life and the gifts of the Spirit. Eric, years and years ago, preached a message on uh, on the dove, in the symbolism of the dove, having nine feathers on each wing, and one's gifts of the spirit, other one is fruit of the spirit. Without one or the other, you're out of balance. I've seen people for years they have the ability to speak in tongues and prophesy. But they eventually damage more people than they bless because they have the they don't have the ability to love. Love beyond what their natural eyes see. And just vice versa. We see that all the time. The people having the the fruit of the spirit but not the gifts amen let's go to uh, Galatians uh, 5 5 verse 1 it is for freedom that Christ has set us free Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. Now, I'm, I'm very well aware Paul's audience in this, but let me bring into our Gentile world. And apply it to us. While in the world, there were methods and there were ways that we did things. There were ways that we handle our money, ways that we handle our kids, our spouse, or maybe even dealt with uh, other types of relationships. By using those ways, we saw them in our parents, we saw myself. We deem them as the law, something that's the standard to do things right. As we continually grow in Christ we're finding out that a lot of those ways were wrong, or, this is more accurate, that they were only half right. If something is 100% legitimately wrong, then we're just a total fool for hanging on to that way of life. But if it's half right, then it's appealing to, to our mind and seems to be okay. As we grow in Jesus, we're relinquishing these laws and submitting them unto God. And being led by the Spirit to do what His His Spirit requires us to do. So not so much that, that we look at this and say, okay, you know, if I, if if I let my son be circumcised and he will not be a Christian. No, that's looking at it in too much of a black and white perspective. It's looking at it in the sense of if <laughs> I've heard of this. If if I preach to my children and maintain that that they hold true to a once-saved-always-saved doctrine, that they must believe it and persecute them if they don't, then I jeopardize myself and my child from not receiving the full gospel of Jesus and no telling what type of account I'll have to give before Jesus for doing that. Uh, Let's continue to read. Verse 4. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. But by faith we eagerly await through the Spirit the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Everybody go to 1 John. Why y'all turn now, I'll I'll read that again. That's a pretty powerful statement that Paul made. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. So let let me say this. Whenever I was first born again, I was very legalistic. Because I was so scared of losing my salvation. That's what it boiled down to. I was afraid to let anything in or it might destroy my faith in Jesus. So I set up around me these border patrols of uh, legalistic laws. Couldn't watch movies. I couldn't smell cigarette smoke. Um, you know, I couldn't let someone that wasn't born again play my guitar; they might defile it. Uh, just silly, absurd things. But I step back, and I put each one of those into this sentence. You know, for in Christ Jesus, neither someone playing my guitar who is not saved defiles it. Or someone who is saved playing a guitar and may not have followed, is that any value in Jesus whatsoever? No, it's not. Absolutely not. So, whenever you find yourself being legalistic, really step back and see the whole picture. In Jesus, outside of you, but in Jesus, does this have any value whatsoever? And from there, you're able to progress and be able to uh, uh, have faith expressing itself in love. As I began to apply my legalistic views and things into other people, I found myself not acting in love. It was more in, in judgment than anything. <laughs> yeah, a, always a clear perspective of uh, our own faults uh, gives a ample uh, source of mercy for others. that's <laughs> rumor i mean so i'm getting a guess <laughs> uh first john 3 verse one how great is the love the father has lavished on us that we should be called children of god and that what we are and that is what we are the reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not been yet made known. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, for we have to edit this part. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Let's keep on down to verse 16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear dear children, let us not love with words and tongue, but with actions and in truth. There's nothing that means something more to me who loves me by what they what they do to me. I've heard lots of words spoken to me. And I've seen lots of actions that directly contradicted those words. But, what does the word say about uh, the outside world looking at us in? They shall know you are my disciples by the love you have for one another. As we begin to love one another, and going going back to what, first, uh, what John says, that We go to the extent of laying down our life for one another. That means, like Eric preached a while back, I hold nothing back. I hold nothing in reserve. If I empty my reserves, I know that it will be pleasing for God. If I keep reserve in, it's still questionable. Very questionable. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 15. 1658, My whole point from talking about love and faith expressing itself in love is that as we begin to, or going back to Galatians, if we sow according to the Spirit, that means that I'm the basis of everything that I do being love and directed by the Spirit in that other person's life as well as mine. I'm going to see a fruit of righteousness taking fruit taking place. One of the things that we witnessed uh, recently is the time issue. I can sow I can sow love into this one person's life and it doesn't look like it's taking root for the world. What I could do is dig around that seed where I know I put that word in there, look for the roots, check and make sure it's doing okay, cover it back up and put some more water on it. That does more damage than good. If I let it be, if I have faith, being sure what I hope for and certain of what I don't see and let God's seed take root Where I throw it, all my responsibility is, is scatter the seed where he tells me to scatter it. That's it. I am not responsible for making sure the roots grow properly. I'm not responsible for making sure that it, you know, it blooms up through the ground. I I seed it and I water it. Now, the, the additional part of that is that at the same time I'm a farmer, I am a shepherd. I do take care of the sheep, those that God has assigned to our flock, and I do I am able to minister to, I do take care of their needs, I do fix their wounds. We are hospital, we do minister to the sick. But at the same time, I'm 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 not the person that uh that is responsible for making the increase. First Corinthians fifteen fifty eight. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. That's not underlined. Please underline it. Let nothing move you. Always, always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Everything you do, whether you see its fruit or not, is all profitable to the kingdom. let's, Let's give a case scenario beginning at planting of the seed to someone standing before jesus if i'm witnessing to my my boss or witnessing to my loved one who jesus i know is directly leading me and putting position in the words of my mouth to talk to them about jesus and they're being bullheaded and stubborn it will not receive it my my first reaction is always why should i ever tell them about jesus now, what's the use, man? They're, they're going to mistreat it. They're going to stomp on it like pigs on, on a, or swine on pearls. Why even waste my breath giving them this precious thing? Going back to what I said earlier, as a farmer, I'm responsible for casting the seed where my master tells me to. As I do it, you know, everything takes place from him on there. If you're not sowing or the seed you sow into that person's life, it does have, and we long to see the option of it taking root and growing and bearing fruit unto God. But I know from the parables that Jesus taught about the four different types of soils, that only one out of that four really bore fruit, uh, you know, 30, 60, 100 fold. The other three or two popped up for a moment and then fade away. One never took root. If it's not so much for a direct implantation that will bear fruit to righteousness in some degree Jesus may be having you tell that person so that they will have to give an account when they stand before him no man will be able to stand before him and say I never heard I never knew and you might be that instrument he's using to display that so never feel like your efforts in Jesus are in vain if it's using your words or even using your actions you could say, "I've labored in vain to show them that I love Jesus." I and mean, me and Mandy were are kidding, and it, it is true how uh, there are certain things that are certain ideas that people have about Christians that because they're servants, because they're full of love, they'll do anything. You don't even have to ask them. Man, they'll sweat their behind off, and you don't even have to give them a pat on the back, much less any money. That idea. It does hold true but i can't let it burden me because i'll press on to to display jesus to the world through my actions as well as my words i want my actions to back up my words and give them bite Exactly right. <laughs> uh, and there was a, uh, I think it's in Isaiah 55, but um, it was it was a, a scripture that stuck in my heart that really acted as a a guide for me whenever um, I wanted to tell somebody about Jesus. Now, you know, granted, we're, we're really shifting to that mode of of being ready at all times to give a word, but it's always The word sent out from God does not return to him void. But you kind of put it in a mathematical pattern. He sends it, therefore it doesn't return to him void. There's no part of me that's involved in that except being the the medium of of performing that. There are several times when I myself, and I I witnessed it in, in, in my own life and in others, where they sent out their own word. They sowed their own kind of seed. And it returned to them void, because it was, as a foreign seed, is alien seed. But as we do our actions, as we perform our 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 word or say our words, we're doing as as we're led by the Spirit. Therefore, it it will bear fruit in some form or fashion, whether it's in righteousness or it's in judgment. So I want to encourage y'all and encourage myself. Hey man, we're gonna keep on sowing. We're going to keep on watering, We keep on doing exactly what the king has prescribed us to do, despite of what I see, despite how bad the tendency is to dig things up and try to rearrange. But I know that Jesus will give the increase. Amen? Let's stand up and pray.